0: Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to Ben Squared, an Invesco podcast seeking to share insights on the major market stories in just 10 minutes and full to the brim with Riz. Uh, I'm Ben Gusseridge, resident host and director of model portfolios, and completing the square is our resident guest, Ben Jones, Invesco's director of macro research. Jonesy, how are you? I bet you're busy reading and writing 2024 outlooks like there's no tomorrow. How many have you got through? Uh, trying to get
1: through them. There are an awful lot of them. Some of them are incredibly long. The longest one I've had so far is about 177 pages, I think. So uh, yeah, sorry about that. that. <laughs> yeah, I've read uh, I've read shorter books this year, but uh, no, pl- plodding through them. But The one thing I would say, and I know we're not talking about. The album, podcast rather but there's there's a bit more disparity in the podcast in the um in the outlooks um this time around than there was at the end of 2022 so i think that that's quite interesting and uh, so yeah 2024 is going to be an interesting year
0: okay well yeah on that ben yeah we'll certainly discuss those sort of outlook pieces and your take uh for 2024 uh in a couple of weeks time for our christmas bonanza uh, but uh, instead this week uh, we're going to make a pivot to discussing the UK following a really interesting research piece I read by one Ben Jones of Invesco, suggesting the UK economy might not be in such a bad place as I sort of generally perceived. Uh, but before we go any further on that discussion, we do want to remind listeners that uh, this recording is intended for UK professional investors only, shouldn't be considered as investment advice and that any capital invested is always capital at risk. i also keen for the audience to hang on after the conversation finished to hear some further important messages. Now, Ben, clearly this uh, this fascinating article I reference uh, was your doing, and I know you will write about the UK a lot anyway. Um, but was there sort of any like data point or, or collection of data that uh, caught your eye and sort of prompted you to to write about the UK looking a bit better?
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, as you know, and we've spoken about it before, I've been a little bit of a pessimist or a bear on the UK economy um, of of late, um, and I still think there's some good reasons to be a little bit more cautious compared to someone like the US, for example. But um, last week, um, the thing that particularly caught my eye was the the nationwide UK house prices, which for the month of October rose by 0.2%. And that followed to previous months of rising house prices as well. In um, September, actually, they rose by nearly 1%. Um, so you've had three months of rising house prices. now in an environment where if you look at the front page of most um, newspapers at the moment there's concerns around um, higher mortgage costs and, and higher mortgage rates and isn't that going to squeeze households and are we looking at uh, expecting to see house prices fall precipitously from these kind of levels um, i thought it was quite interesting to see that you know, there's actually three months of rising house prices um, so that's the bit that sort of caught my eye i thought well you know what that does deserve a little bit more digging in why are house prices rising and, and actually how are households Faring in the face of higher mortgage costs. So um, what that prompted me to do was go to the, the Bank of England website, which is a phenomenal um, source of, of data. Um, and that's where this research piece central from, sort of going knee-deep into the, the Bank of England data.
0: Okay, so I sort of lick my lips when uh, you talk about uh, house prices. I know, or I, my sense is that like we all want to hear about it and, and know more about it. And if there's a sort of a tantalizing suggestion, we might, the housing market might not be in such bad shape. We want to know more. But, but I guess like the not the elef- well, I guess it's sort of the elephant in the room. But uh, something I assume we all know about is like there is maybe this assumption that we're all on tracker mortgages or on two year deals that are about to roll off. So surely like the UK housing markets, just this sort of time bomb uh, mm. that's waiting to be punished by higher interest rates.
1: Yeah, look, um, as you say, you, you lick your lips when you talk about house prices. Obviously, it's the, the classic UK middle class dinner party conversation. Isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, um, so you're right. I mean, and actually, that was one of the things that made me a little bit worried, worried because um, the reason if you look at the US, for example, that you haven't seen Um, consumer spending tank, and you've seen um, households in previous states, because most households in the US have long-term fixed rate mortgages up to sort of 30 years or so. So higher mortgage rates don't affect US households unless they move house. Um, Now, in the UK, it's a little bit different. As you say, there are more people on trackers, actually not that many. Um, I'll come to the stats in just a second. Um, But more people are on um, what we would term as short-term fixes. So um, if I look at the data um, in the UK, around about 84% of mortgage holders have um, what is termed as a short-term fix. Now, a short-term fix is between one and five years. So, yeah, there might be some of those at the two-year-end spectrum, and certainly some of those will have rolled off in the last sort of year or so when mortgage rates have moved higher. Um, But quite a lot of those are going to be at the five year end of the spectrum, and there's been more of these sort of 10 year fixes starting to creep into the market as well in the UK over over recent years or so. So that sort of um, that mortgage cliff isn't so much a cliff as more of a sort of Slow um, steady gradient of people uh, rolling off those fixes onto um, new rates. So um, again, looking at the Bank of England data, and it's a little bit out of date because it comes from the summer. But if you think about new loans being written somewhere in the range of sort of four and a half to five and a half, six percent, depending again on your your loan to value, um, that's your sort of new mortgage rate. But the existing mortgages, so the, the effective rate of outstanding loans is still around about 2.6%, so it's still quite low um, by historical standards. It started to to creep up, and it's a very gradual um, creep up. Um, But as you say, I mean, that will continue to increase as those mortgages roll off, Um, but it's a much slower um, sort of rolling off of those fixes than perhaps you would have got um, 10 years ago or so. The
0: other thing...
1: now, the other thing that I think just to think about is also the, the nature of the type of mortgages that people hold. And this was something that really jumped out at me when I looked at the Bank of England data is thinking, well, when you think about your mortgage, you've got two components to it when you pay it. You've got your interest component and you've got potentially the principal component if you're on a repayment mortgage and obviously add those two together and that's your monthly payment. Now, back in 2008, for example, there were around about 40% of mortgages written were on an interest-only basis. Now, what that means is that if you're on an interest-only mortgage and, the mortgage and the interest rate doubles, your payment doubles. If you're on a repayment mortgage, though, and the interest rate goes up, the payment made doesn't go up by the, um, the same uh, proportion. Um, and if you look at the data today, of mortgages that are um, held today are on a repayment basis. Um, So what that means is that even as rates have gone from sort of 2% to 4% to potentially 6% today, that doesn't mean that um, households um, payments are going to triple, even if they are rolling off. those um, those existing rates onto those um, newer rates. What it also means is that households have been paying down debt over the course of the last um, decade or so. And in fact, now there's around about 40% of home owners in the the UK own their house outright, don't have a mortgage um, at all. So all that really is saying that when we look at um, just interest rates going up, um, it's sort of quite easy and knee-jerk to say, oh, my goodness, that's going to mean a doubling in payments and households and mortgage holders are going to get hit quite hard. But actually, it's much more nuanced than that. And actually, the, the sort of the sterling, the, the pound amount that you or I might be paying when we refinance our, our mortgage isn't quite going to be what it, um, the media makes out to be.
0: Okay, well, yeah, no, it's really interesting to hear that side of uh, of the ledger, if you like. You know, more more pain to come, but uh, not necessarily to the degree that we'd sort of all anticipated. But what about um, on the the sort of the other side of the ledger? Use the same analogy. Is there anything you know? Are there consumers sort of benefiting from this sort of higher interest rate environment? You know, what what are what are depositors getting out of this? Yeah, again, that's the really interesting thing,
1: to I think, to look at some of the data um, at the moment. And look, there's always a lot of hoo-ha around banks not passing on higher interest rates to, to consumers and the savings accounts. But actually, if you look at the um, data, again, from the Bank of England, what you see is that from the beginning of um, January 2022 until now, you can sum up the increase in extra savings income that is being earned, and you can um, sum up the extra uh, mortgage payments that are being paid out in aggregate. And what you find is um, it's not quite double, but it's not far off. Um, The amount of interest earned in the UK economy among households is um, about one and a half to two times the extra increase in mortgage payments that are being made out over that um, same period. So what that means is that people are earning more interest on their savings accounts than they're paying out on mortgages. That's more money in consumers' pockets. That's money that they can go out um, and spend. Remember, of course, also this comes on the back of all the excess savings that many households built up during the, um, the COVID period where we couldn't go out and spend on holidays and restaurants and things like that. And it means actually that the consumers in, the, in a pretty good state. Um, now, there's still a lot of um, precautionary saving um, being uh, taking place at the moment. But one of the questions that was put to me last week was, is that precautionary saving um, essentially, too precautionary, too cautious. And actually, the analysis that I've done in this report says, you know what? Perhaps it is. Perhaps households are being a little bit too
0: cautious, and they've got room to uh, to spend down a little bit more. So keen to take this conversation towards an investment conclusion, but I guess to sort of get there, first, I want to get uh, sort of a, a reminder or a summary of how you think sort of the UK consumer is faring or is positioned uh, going forward. And there may be a comment on sort of business conditions. But you know, what, is, what is your aggregate view now on, UK, on the UK consumer?
1: So I think that the UK consumer is in an OK state. What, what I don't think is going to happen is that the UK consumer is going to massively accelerate spending. I don't think there's going to be a big takeoff in demand from here. But what I think it means is that you're probably going to get this kind of muddling through of UK um, consumers. There's not going to be the significant pressure on house prices. You're going to get that sort of downward wealth effect. Um, you're not going to get um, consumers completely re- retrenching away from, from spending. And that means that um, uh, businesses can hold up reasonably well. And indeed, we saw last week as well the Lloyds Bank um, Business Barometer survey come out, and that moves um, higher again Um, during the month of uh, of November. So businesses seem pretty confident that they are still um, able to sell their products uh, and demand is there and that they're not laying off um, uh, labour to any significant degree um, at the moment. So it's kind of sort of a a muddle through, um, uh, to be honest with you. But it's probably um, a better state for the consumer, a better state for the economy than um, perhaps I would have thought it would have been um, just a couple of months ago.
0: Okay, so what does this mean for investments uh, at this moment, Ben? Uh, and how does that um, how does that leave your biases within the sort of UK stock market? Yeah, obviously, look, that's the uh, the ultimate question, isn't it? What do we What do we do with this information? What do we buy?
1: What do we sell? That kind of thing. Now, um, you know, um, I've talked positively about UK large caps for um, quite a bit of time. I think they're very attractively valued. I think they've got a really good Um, sector mix from um, energy companies and and really overseas companies as well that are geared into uh, broader global growth as opposed to geared into um, the domestic UK story. Um, And I still think that that theme plays out, but largely that's kind of independent of what we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes or so. Um, What I think this does um, change is then the attraction of UK small caps um and mid caps because they are more geared into the the domestic uk economy and the uk um consumer um, and like their large cap brethren they, these guys are really very well um valued or sorry they are very attractively valued should we say they're trading on, on low like multiples um, and talking to our uk equity teams and, and talking to to my colleagues i think one thing that I'm getting hearing is there is a, a lot of opportunities in the space. There's there's valuation dispersion. There are earnings dispersion stories um, coming through right uh, right now. Um, so I think in general UK small caps can probably do do better from here. As I say, that globally they're one of the most attractively valued areas. Um, and as I say, talking to my colleagues, there's a lot of opportunities for differentiation in that space as well. So um, I think actually it, this is a really exciting time for for UK assets. Um, both large and now shifting my view a little bit more on the small cap side as well
0: okay great stuff ben um but we'll we'll wrap it up there now i mean we spent a little bit more time today discussing the uk economy and and ultimately uk markets but i hope our audience found that useful it does seem to be like a sort of uh, a craving for more uk based content and you know when we can we do it obviously you know like the us and, and global issues you know more dominant for um, our investment strategy. But uh, you know, when we can, we want to give you as much um, useful UK information as we think uh, w- would be of use to you. But uh, anyway, sorry. So we took a little bit longer today, but I hope you found that useful. We're back in a fortnight and we will we will be, as we promised, we'll be doing our sort of 2024 outlook, uh, both taking Ben's view, uh, but also looking at what sort of the street, what the uh, the majority of key actors are saying about 2024. Uh, but uh, if you want to hear from either of us before then, please reach out to, to Ben or I on LinkedIn. Also, you can catch Ben on Twitter uh, or just get in touch with your invasive. Investco relationship manager. But before you leave us, do listen uh, to the following investment risks and information. The value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. This podcast is intended for UK professional clients only and is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material, material and not financial advice. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class, security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.